if there's one thing that we as believers uh, need to be sticklers for, and, and if there's something we need to be up on, is the will of God. The will of God, very simply, being what God wants. You know, if you're going to break it down, you know, and define the will of God, it's what he wants, as opposed to what he doesn't want. And uh, tonight, um, you know, I, I, as, as I was just looking to keep the antenna tuned in <laughs> and get some direction for tonight, uh, there's one particular aspect of what God wants that I thought it was very right and suitable for us to, to get into tonight, and that is the, the fact that healing is God's will. Healing is God's will. And I'm talking about the healing of your physical body. Now, uh, as we get into this, well, one thing that, that you might say is, well, God cares about eternal things and spiritual things. Does God actually care about temporary things? To which I'd say absolutely he does. The words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, he talked about the way that the Father clothes the grass, which today is and tomorrow is cast into an oven or tied up in a bale of hay. Something that lasts for a day or a few days and God cares about it. And if God would care about something on the, the level of creation that we walk on, I mean, he's talking about grass. We walk on the grass. If God's going to care that much about the, the grass that we walk on, then he's going to care about the people that are walking on the grass. Do you believe it? And uh, as, as we lay the foundation for this tonight, there's a few things we need to realize. And, and one biggie is this, that just because something is God's will does not mean it automatically happens. Because we realize that the scripture says that uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I... I I tell you, and I don't have any joy in telling you this, it is sad news that I tell you, there are people perishing. There are people that perish this very day that are lost. Was it God's will? No. Was he willing for that to happen? No. But it happened. And you know, in some cases, it's a matter not of his willingness, but a lack of willingness on, on our part. For, for instance, uh, uh, when uh, Jesus weep, uh, wept over the city of Jerusalem, he said, how often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So there it's very clear that was not a matter of a lack of willingness on God's part, but a lack of willingness on the part of the people that he was trying to reach. In some cases, people just limit God. <laughs> 
The scripture says that in Psalm 78. I know you might hear that and say, no way, limit God, God's limitless. But, but the Bible says regarding the people of Israel that they limited the Holy One of Israel. Which means it's possible for God to want to do this much and us put him in a position where he can only do this much. That's what happened in Jesus' hometown. Hey, hey. if you read Mark chapter 6, Jesus went there and uh, would have loved to have been able to do there what he did in some other places. But, but they, they started treating him as the homeboy. We know your mama, we know your daddy, we know your brothers, we know your sisters. And uh, the, the ultimate bottom line of that passage is that the scripture says that he could there not do a whole lot of mighty works because of their unbelief. So he wanted to do more, but he was hindered in how much he could do. And then sometimes, you know, so sometimes in, in ministering to people, you just got somebody who gets a little glimpse of heaven <laughs> and says, what do I want to stay here for? You see, here's the thing. If we really understand what heaven is like and the beauty and the majesty and the peace and the thrill of being face to face with the one who died for us, you can't fault people for wanting to go. So, you know, sometimes there's cases where people just get a little glimpse of the other side and say, whoa, I want to go. Even the Apostle Paul, he was in a situation, Philippians chapter 1, he was singing that song, should I stay or should I go? <laughs> you, you, you look at what he was saying, he said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, it's more needful for me to hang with you guys and help you guys help, help you guys out because you guys need help. So he said, what am I going to choose? What should I do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay here with you. But, but I, I, I say that just to give you several scenarios to let you know that just because something is what God wants and what his best scenario is doesn't mean it automatically happens. Because the bottom line is that if God's best scenario always happened, we would not be in this messed up, crazy, fallen world to begin with. The reason we got in this situation is that somebody did something that God did not want them, will them to do. All right? So I just want to lay that as a little bit of foundation here as we're uh, speaking along these lines tonight. And one big thing that you really, really need to get, faith begins where the will of God is known. Can we have that up there? This is biggie. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And as we're talking about that, I'm pulling out money out of my wallet. Now, what does this mean? That means that if you're going to believe God for something, you need to have a confidence and a knowing that what you're believing for is something that he wants you to have. 
Otherwise, if you don't have a knowing that he wants you to have it, you can't have confidence in that area. You can't have faith for that thing unless there's a foundation that I know God wants me to have this. And that is why this particular area is so important in any subject to examine what is the will of God. Because if I can see that God wants me to have this, that's the foundation for your faith. And you can believe God for that. But if it's fuzzy, if it's foggy, if it's iffy, if it's I really don't know, you do not have a foundation for your faith. Now, I pulled out a $5 bill. It's not the most crisp one in the world, but it, it, it'll buy you something. And, and I want to ask you a question. If I said that I was going to give a $5 bill to somebody in the church tonight, how many of you could have faith for that? To which I say, guess what? You walked into my trap. <laughs> because did I say that I was going to give one to everybody? I said I was going to give one to somebody. You can hope it's you. You can wish it's you. Hey, hey. But you can't really believe it's you. Unless I were to say, I'm going to give a $5 bill to everybody in the church tonight. Now, if I said that, and I did say if, then if my word is any good, then you know that you can come to me and claim your $5 and leave the church $5 richer. Because then you would know for sure that you were one of the ones. See, if I just say I'm going to give it to somebody, you can't know for sure you're one of the ones. But if I say I'm going to do it for everybody, you can know for sure you're one of the ones. But Eunice, you sat in the right spot tonight, so you get the $5, and all you got to do is tithe. <laughs> So let's go ahead and dig into this. I want to hit three things tonight about uh, understanding healing is God's will and things that will build our confidence and our faith in this area. Um, first of all, I want to look at God's original creation, and then I want to look at how sickness came into existence, and then I want to look at the ministry of Jesus. But we're going to look at this one first. God's original creation. Now, the, the last verse of Genesis 1, where God created everything, it ends like this. It said that God saw everything he made, and indeed it was very good. That's the last verse of Genesis chapter 1. That's the way creation is summed up. God saw it all, and, and he gave himself a thumbs up. He said it's all very good. Now, how does God define good? Can we look in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Can we look in the Bible and find a little bit about how God defines good? Go ahead and put up Acts chapter 10, verse 38. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we see this about how God defines good by, by what the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write here in Acts chapter 10, that Jesus went about doing good and healing. So you see a clear connection between good, as God defines it, and healing. Put up Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news of the kingdom. And as people heard good news, what happened? He, went, he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he went and preached good news to them, and what happened? They got healed. Once again, a connection between healing and good as God defines it. Now, check this out. This is Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, I want to start looking at uh, verse 7. So that, that we need to go back. That's uh, verse 11. We need to go back to verse 7. So we'll start reading there. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now listen close. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a serpent? Go ahead, move on. Oh, no, you missed verse 10. Verse 10 is in there somewhere. So I'll go ahead and read it out of here. Verse 10 says, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? And then verse 11 says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Now, now, one thing that is just fascinating to me is that Jesus was saying that if an earthly father has enough good sense to give you uh, the thing that you're asking for as opposed to give you something poisonous when you're just asking for lunch, if an earthly father would have so much sense to do that, then how much sense would God the Father have? How much more sense would God the Father have to give good things, not bad things, but good things to them that ask him? And yet, those of you that, that have been either exposed to uh, religious, traditional kind of thinking in the area of healing and sickness, or you know somebody who has, have probably come across sometime well, you know, I asked the Lord for health and in his infinite wisdom, God saw fit. You know, people's voice change when they get religious, you know. <laughs> God saw fit for me to be sick instead of healthy. How many of you have ever come across any kind of re religious traditional idea that, that sounded anything remotely like that? Would you wave, wave at me? Now, And of course, you've heard this before, but, but it's the perfect timing to say it, so i got to say it. 
So if someone's going to believe that God saw fit for me to be sick rather than well, or that God placed this on me to teach me something, then don't go see the doctor. Because there's a real good chance that doctor's going to give you something to get you right out of the will of God. <laughs> you feeling me there, man? Come on. And, and, and so you see how, how religious traditional ideas, you can just shoot it full of holes real easy because they just don't make any good sense. But what does the Bible say? Let's go ahead and follow this line of what God defines as good a little more. Psalm 103. Woohoo! We'll start with verse 2 here. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So if God's satisfying your mouth with good things, then benefits are good, forgiveness is good, healing is good, redemption is good, and being crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies is good. So let's define good as God defines good. And of course, over in James, a classic verse about the way God does things, James chapter 1, and I believe it's verse 19, 17, I'm sorry, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So not only does the Bible say about God that, that he only gives good gifts and perfect gifts. But it also says that regarding this, he will not vary and there won't even be a shadow of turning. Which means he won't suddenly decide, I want to start giving another kind of gift. He, he's not going to change on that. He's not going to vary on that. He's always going to be the same way about it. Hallelujah. So are you with me on that? So we, we get some kind of picture here how God defines good, which is very important because the, the verse that I referred to, that last verse of Genesis 1, says that God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good, which lets me know something that if sickness is not good, if healing and health is good, but sickness is not good, that lets me know that in Genesis chapter 1, sickness must not have been around. Because then something would have been around that was not good. Because Jesus went around doing good and healing. Remember? So God equates good and healing together. So if God said... I see everything I made and behold, it's very good. That, that to me is very clear that sickness must not have been around in Genesis 1 in the way God originally made things here on planet Earth. Well, then we can ask the question, well, if, if that's the case, how did sickness come into existence? And uh, as we dig into this, let's look at Romans Romans chapter 5, verse 12, this is the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 
So we see this, that, that through one man, sin entered the world, that one man being Adam, and death entered through sin. First of all, spiritual death entered, and spiritual death brought that nasty thing called physical death right along with it. And of course, all the, the sickness and the disease and, and the, the physical ailments that would cause one to physically die all came in as a result of spiritual death, and spiritual death came in as a result of sin. Now, God warned Adam in Genesis 2.17. He said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. How many of you remember reading that in your Bible or hearing it before? Not uncommon. Interesting thing, in Young's literal translation, the way it words it and brings out that phrase, you shall surely die, actually says uh, that, uh, let me read it to you, just so I can capture the essence of this. Dying, you will die. Listen to that. Dying, you will die. Which is a very uh, a great statement to capture the essence of two deaths taking place. The immediate spiritual death that took place, but then as a result of that spiritual death, and for Adam, what was 930 years later, as people lived a whole lot longer before the flood happened on the earth, 930 years later, Adam died physically as well. So dying, you will die. Dying right now, spiritually, you will die physically later. And he did. And that same thing passed all over mankind. That is the point when physical imperfections, sickness, disease, whatever term you want to use, began. There was none before that point. Because everything was in the perfection of the way God originally created it to be. Oh, yeah. Now, when does physical imperfection end? Now, we know when it came on the scene. Physical imperfection, sickness, disease came on the scene when the old serpent came on the scene. Isn't that right? Now, when does this stuff end? Well, we know this, that Revelation 20 talks about the devil who deceived them being cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with the beast and the false prophet, and he's just baking in the lake where he belongs. So we see that. In Revelation 20. And then in Revelation 21, verse 4, and this is the amplified version. I want you to check this out. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall there be anguish, sorrow, and mourning, nor grief, nor pain anymore. For the old conditions and the former order of things have passed away. So here we go. As a result of Satan 
being thrown in the lake of fire and no longer being in the picture, that's what you get. No more of all that stuff. Now go ahead and put that next slide up. Now you say, what on earth is this about? No devil. Well, this this is going to illustrate something. See this screen here? This screen here represents the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. There's no devil. Which is interesting because as we saw, because God said everything he made was very good, so there wasn't any sickness either. So no devil, no sickness. Now, take a walk with me. This screen over here is representing what we just read out of Revelation 21, verse 4. This is life after the devil's thrown in the lake of fire. No more pain, no more death. The the former order of things has passed away. So, no devil, no sickness. No devil, no sickness. But between that screen and this screen, you got two things. You got a devil around and you got sickness around. Coincidence, I think not. I think there's a most definitive connection here. And uh, let's go ahead and check the word out. The Bible says clearly, of course, Job didn't know what was going on with him, but, but we, as those who could read his book, read his account, know that it was not the Lord who was uh, smote his body with boils. The Bible clearly says that Satan smote him with boils. Now, Acts 10, 38, we read it before, but now let's read it in this context. Who's guilty of this? Who's the one who's the initiator, the originator of this? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Think about this, that according to this verse, anything that you would need healing from is considered Oppression of the devil. And you know, I got to tell you, you know, at a time of the year where, you know, like they say, stuff goes around. And, you know, family members shared things together, you know. You've heard all the lines. But, but I think sometimes as believers, we can get lulled into just thinking we got put up with stuff, and that's just part of life, as opposed to allowing that something inside of us to rise up and say, not my life, not my house, not my kids, not my spouse. You know, uh, where, where, where's the, the fight that rises up inside of us? The, the, the something inside of us that says, wait a minute. This is not the way God initially, originally created things to be. This is not normal according to God's standards. This is the result of living in a fallen world. And where's the fight that, that, that would just dig your heels in the ground 
and, and, and say, devil, if there's any ounce of the Bible that's true, and if you're under my feet like the Bible says, then all the stuff you're bringing along with you got to be under my feet too. Can somebody declare war? Or not just on the enemy, but on all the stuff that he brings with him, all the baggage he brings with him and wants to dump in your house or dump in your body or dump in your bank account. Okay, can, can somebody take a stand and, and say, you know what? I'm just not going to go ahead and sit here and take it. Hallelujah. John 10, 10, Jesus said it so well. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life, life more abundantly. You know, over in uh, Luke 13, you can put the verse up, but I want to set it up. Luke 13, 16, but prior to that, it's talking about this woman who, who was, uh, had a spirit of infirmity, bent over for 18 years. The Bible says that she could in no way lift herself up. And, and uh, Jesus laid hands on her. She was made straight. And then you've got religious people that had the audacity to say, well, what are you doing here? This is the Sabbath day. What are you doing working on the Sabbath day? And look at the words of Jesus. Of course, prior to that, he said, well, if, if you loose your ox or your donkey from the stall, you wouldn't think anything of it. Well, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. Who bound her? Who loosed her? Who bound her? Who loosed her? Who bound her? Who loosed her? Who's greater? Who's in you? See, you, you, you start thinking about that, meditating on that, get that in your system, and something rises up. Say, so I ain't just going to sit here and take it. And, and, and you know what, it's, you know, and I'm not telling anybody here that, that you're not going to be attacked. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you the exact opposite. You will be attacked by the attacker himself. But I, I want you to realize this, that, that according to what we see in the Bible if we're going to resist the devil and he'll flee from us, which the Bible says in James chapter 4. Well, how many of us have really resisted sickness when it comes to our house? As opposed to just saying, well, just a part of life, part of the season. It's the flu season. It's this season. It's whatever season. But, but if, if it's his stuff, and if we're supposed to resist him, then we're supposed to resist the stuff he brings with him. He brings sickness with him, you resist that. He brings lust with him, you resist that. He, he brings poverty with him, you resist that. If it's him, you resist it. You, you don't resist God. You submit to God. You resist the devil. And you resist everything that he brings into your house. 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, 
the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Now, if he was manifested for that purpose, if Jesus was manifest for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil, then let's take a look at what his life and ministry was like, because that'll give us some inclination of how he did that. And that's why we're going to look at next the ministry of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Any usher around? If there's an usher in the house, I'd like to have some H2O. Thank you, David. Appreciate it, man. So the ministry of Jesus. One thing that we need to realize about Jesus and what the Scripture says about him, and in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 actually reveals this. It calls him the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person. So think about this, that, that, that uh, what the Bible says, and I've got multiple translations of that statement there out of Hebrews 1, verse 3. That, uh, the Phillips translation says that he's the, the flawless expression of the nature of God. The Amplified says he's the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature. The, the complete Jewish Bible said he's the, the very expression of God's essence. The message translation says this son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. The New Living Translation says that he expresses the very character of God and the New American Standard said that he is the exact representation of God's nature. What's it saying? If you see Jesus, God the Son, you see God the Father, and if you want to have an inclination of what the Father is like, you look at the Son, because the Son is the spitting image of his daddy. Now, Jesus made statements like this. If you'd known me, you'd known my Father also. He who's seen me has seen the Father. We see this here, which is Colossians 1.15 out of the Amplified Bible. Paul said, now he is the exact likeness of the unseen God. The visible representation of the invisible. Think about that. Exact likeness. I mean, there's not something about Jesus that's one way and something about God the Father that's another way. No, no, if you are looking at Jesus, if you're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are seeing exactly what the Father is like because the Son is not uh, doing anything, acting differently, saying differently from the Father. As a matter of fact, he is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He is the visible representation of the invisible. Now this very same verse in the Message Bible says this. It says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. And then it goes on to say, we look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. Woo! We just were there a few minutes ago. God's original purpose. 
the, God's original creation, what he initially purposed, how he intended things to be in the beginning. And we see here in the ministry of Jesus, God's original purpose. Hallelujah. Listen to some of the statements Jesus made. John 5, 19, he said, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. All right, are you with me? The same chapter, John chapter 5, verse 30, he goes on to say, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, John 6, 38, you can put that one up here. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So if this is a true statement that Jesus made, then what he's saying is all this stuff I'm doing is not my own thing. It's not my own idea. It's not something I came up with. It's, it's, not, it's not something that I just decided to start doing without checking with the Father first. No, I'm doing not my own thing. I'm doing the will of the Father who sent me. So when I go around and preach the gospel, that's what the Father wants. When I go around and heal the sick and cast out devils, I'm doing what the Father wants, which means if it's what the Father wants, it's what the Father wills, it is his will. You know, over in Mark chapter 1, whew, this leper came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. Many of us are stuck in that same place. Don't, don't have any question about God's ability. God can do anything. Hallelujah. But when it comes to a matter of will he or will he not, then hubba, hubba, hubba. You know, we trip over our words and, you know, just get stuck right there. Say, I know he can, but will he? Well, in Mark chapter 1, that was the same question that leper had. If you're willing, I know you can. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm willing. Be made clean. And that leper was not a leper anymore. And you know why? Because of the will of Jesus, God the Son, which we see clearly from the statements Jesus made, is the will of God the Father. Oh, come on now. See, this is the kind of thing you can't hear it just once. Uh, the, 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 and, and we're not into selling CDs. You can listen to it free on the podcast and we won't make any money. But, but I, I, the, the, if, if we can get the word of God into somebody, and, and if, if somebody can, can hear and hear, and hear, because you don't get it all the first time, and, and then you hear it one too many times, and it clicks, and oh boy, I tell you, the devil's scared of you right there, because the seed takes in the ground, and it produces fruit, hallelujah, so take this seriously, this is God's will for you, Matthew 4, look at this, 
Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So remember, we saw Jesus being the exact representation of the Father. You want to see what the Father's like? Look at Jesus. And, and, and so here we see Jesus healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. They brought to him all sick people afflicted with various diseases and torments. And what did he do? He healed them. So you are seeing what the Father is like right there. See, we're connecting the dots. We need to look at the word this way. We can't say, well, yeah, that was Jesus. And that was way back then in the good old Bible days. As though he's different. He's not different. He can't be different. Because if he's different, then there's something in the book that's not true, which says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then also besides that, we need to realize this, that you saw healing and miracles under the old covenant and Hebrews tells us very specifically that we in the new covenant live under a better covenant with better promises. You can't tell me it's better if they got more than we got. <laughs> Hallelujah. But listen to this. Let, let, me, let me just read some of this to you. Just, just, just listen. This is, this is Matthew. There's, this is not all that we could possibly read to you. But if you want to get a snapshot of the ministry of Jesus, how much was this occasional with Jesus or was this a regular part of ministry for him? Matthew 8, 16 says, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. Matthew 12, 15 says this, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Matthew 14, verse 14 says, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, and maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Matthew chapter 19, verse 2. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed, he healed them there. Now I want to look together at Mark chapter 3. So, so what we want to establish, what, was this some infrequent kind of thing or was this everyday regular occurrence in the life of Jesus? Look at Mark 3, uh, verse 7 through 10. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. I love that line. When they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. 
for he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Imagine Jesus need a boat because there's so many people that are trying to touch him, afflicted people that are trying to touch him and, and get the healing from him that, that, uh, that, that he, he, he's needing a boat there just so he can get away from the crowd for a minute and not be crushed by the crowd. That's in your Bible? And, and besides that, you also see that line of uh, they heard about the many things he was doing. So once again, this is not infrequent. This is not, you know, kind of a once in a while thing. This is a regular, regular routine part of the life and the ministry of Jesus. You know, what? there was a point in time uh, over in Luke 13 where, where the Pharisees came to him and said, you need to get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. And he said, you go tell that fox. And what did he say? He said, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and I'll be perfected on the third day. So think about that answer. He said, all right, well, on the third day, I'll be perfected. Until then, I'm going to do what I usually do. I'm going to cast out devils and do cures cure people today, and then tomorrow, when tomorrow gets here, I'm going to cast out devils and cure people tomorrow. And you see the insinuation that this is what I do. I got two more days left, then I got two more days to do what I do. This same Jesus Remember the words in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended? This same Jesus will come again in like manner as you have seen him go. Well, I want you to know this same Jesus is the same right now at this very moment. And do you want to put a whipped cream on the Sunday here tonight? Do you want to leave this place? You think you're excited about what you already saw? You just, just get ready. John 20. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, let's look at John 21. We're talking about the ministry of Jesus, right? And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Now, this is at the end of a gospel that recorded the life and the deeds of Jesus and said, you think that's it? There's so much more that it was all written down? You, you know, the, the world couldn't contain the books? Now, that's the life and the ministry of Jesus. 
the gospel, as we know it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the life and the ministry of Jesus, right? This is being said about his life and ministry. Now, there's another reference to the life and ministry of Jesus, and I'm going to tell you this. Luke, who wrote the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. Now, I want you to look uh, at the, the very first verse of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and he's making reference to the former account that he already wrote, which is the gospel of Luke. The former account, the gospel of Luke, that I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So, all the stuff that Jesus did and the stuff that there was so much that I suppose that if it was written down, everyone, that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And then Luke says, guess what, boys? That was just the beginning of what Jesus was doing and teaching, which tells me something. If that's what was the beginning then there's obviously a continuation. And the book of Acts started the continuation of what Jesus was doing and teaching. And although not on earth in his physical body anymore, his body's still here, the body of Christ, the church, his followers are still on the earth doing the same things and saying the same things that he did. Somebody get this here tonight. You can look over and over. We just hit some highlights. We didn't even hit it all. Of all these wonderful, marvelous things that Jesus did, multitudes healed, maimed, uh, the, the, the maimed, the lame, the, the blind, the dumb, uh, the mute, we say today, all of those circumstances and uh, sicknesses that people are getting healed of. And according to Luke, he said that was just the beginning. Tonight, we're living in the continuation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Hallelujah. Well, I want you to know I believe it. And, and there's so much more that we could get into. And, and, you know, the time would just fly away. But, but I wanted to go ahead and uh, 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 lay this groundwork of foundation for you tonight so that you could know that healing of your physical body is absolutely without a doubt God's will for you. Because, you know, there, there's lots of areas you can get into with it, but, but, but what we're settling in, and the thing that, that is very intentional to build your faith is that does, does, does he want this? Is this what he wants? Because we want what he wants, Right? Does he want this? Is this his will? Is it what he wants? Yes, it is. And we've seen it, and there's so much more we could see, but I think we need to close up shop tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, hey, hey. All right. 
Who's got back problems tonight? Go ahead and stand up. It's not that uh, it, it, it's not an issue that uh, only people with back problems can get healed tonight. Anybody who wants to get healed can get healed. Glory to God. But you people with back problems, I'm going to give you a word, and the word is this. Something happened to the Savior's back so that your back could be whole. Somebody listen to me tonight. He got stripes on his. I said he got stripes on his. And so with the stripes that were landed on his back, your back's healed. Go ahead and lay your hand right on your back. Talk to it. Talk with authority. Don't settle anymore. As a matter of fact, Jesus cast the money changers out the temple. Well, that's your temple you're talking to today. And you've got an intruder in the temple that don't belong. Tell the intruder to leave. Tell the intruder to take his stuff and go. You're the temple of the living God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We believe healing power is flowing tonight. We believe that Jesus is the same and that the same works that he did, they're being done today. Hallelujah. He's no different. He, he's not changed. We don't have Jesus 101.2. We've got the original Jesus, the only Jesus, and he's always the same. We thank you, Lord, for healing power flowing into these, your people, tonight. By the authority of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Take a seat, if you would. Let's uh, bow our heads tonight. Father, we honor you. We're, we're so thankful for the revelation of Jesus. Insight into Jesus. Because insight into Jesus is insight into you, Father. When we see what Jesus is like, and the love and the compassion that Jesus has. We see the love and the compassion that the Father has. And Lord, the greatest demonstration of your love and compassion was that you sent Jesus to die for us, to fully pay the price for us. You sent Jesus as our substitute to do the time for the crimes that we've committed, to take our sin away. You are truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're so thankful. We're so thankful for that sacrifice, for that work that only Jesus could do. None of us could ever do it for ourselves. None of us could ever save ourselves. We so desperately needed him. Nobody else could do it for us. We're thankful for that tonight. 